Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you've already touched our hearts, God. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you enjoy just invading our space and just coming in and ministering to us, that you convict us of righteousness, that you convict us of sonship. So Father God, I'm just praying that you would just come this morning, just radically just deposit something into our hearts this morning. In fact, let's just do this. Sometimes we like to do this. Put your hand on your heart this morning and just say this, Holy Spirit, Spirit. come. I welcome you. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. So we thank you, Father. You're so good. And you have something good for each person here this morning. Father God, I just pray. I just bind every distraction away. I just pray that this time um, is your time and that you're depositing something into each one of us. We thank you for it, Jesus. Holy Spirit, just take over. Amen. Amen. So we've been in the Prosperous Soul Series And we're not done with that series, but we are going to kind of, this is going to be kind of a separate message, and then we're going to go back to the Prosperous Soul series. So I don't know if that's normal, but that's what we're doing. But yeah, I was preparing something for the Prosperous Soul series, and the Lord just started speaking to me something different. And so I was like, maybe I could make it a part of the Prosperous Soul series, and I just prayed about it, and I was like, no, this just needs to be its own message. And so this message, the title of this message, if you're taking notes, is The First Crisis and God's solution. The first crisis and God's solution. So Joy and I started this church about five years ago. I can't believe it's been five years. And we started in a home, and we were there for about a year. And I think for the first year, maybe a little more than a year, we didn't have a name. And we really wanted uh, to have a name that came from the Lord. And so we're really praying about it, like, God, what's the name of the church? And so I remember coming home one day and Joy was just like excited. And I could tell it was like the Holy Spirit. She's like, I feel like it's like, it's like awaken. It's like awaken something, like awaken. And she was saying different names and she said awaken life. And I was like, I felt the Holy Spirit. I was like, yes. I was like, that's it. It's awaken life. That's the name of the church. So we named the church Awaken Life Church. And then it was probably two or three months later, my wife was going through a journal that she keeps with prophetic words and just things that she writes down that she wants to remember in scripture. And she came across a word that was given to her, and it was something about, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to mess up a little bit, but I remember the one that was given to me, but the one that was given to her was something about you're going to be an awakening to the church. Awaken life in the church. You're going to awaken life in the church. And then, so she had been given a word years before that she's going to awaken life in the church. And then as she turned the page in her journal, something fell out, and it was a little piece of paper of another prophetic word that was given to me. And it said, God is calling you to awaken life in his church. So she found both of those words like a few months after we named it. And we kind of totally forgot about those. And uh, it was just God confirming like that he had, he had indeed named our church. And the cool thing is when God names your church, he'll defend it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You don't have to defend it. He says he'll build his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Amen. Amen. So one of the mandates on this house is to awaken life in believers. And one of the ways ways that we'll see that happen is through community, through community, through what we're doing today, just 
really breaking bread together and, and be, being a community. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to read that same verse, but I'm going to read, I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. And I'm going to read a few verses that come before it because they're so good. It's Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25 in the Passion Translation. It says, And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. Isn't that good? It's the blood of Jesus that has made us family. We can say that we're truly family, and we talk about that a lot, that we are truly our family. This is a family And it's been made possible because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and we approach him with an open heart, listen to this, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. I just want to pause there for a second. Fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. Your sin cannot keep you at a distance from the Father because of what Jesus did. Your past cannot keep you at a distance from the Father. Anything that you've ever done, anything that you'll ever do, cannot keep you at a distance from the Father because of what Jesus has done. And it goes on to say, For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience. And now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. That's so good. So now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. And then I'm going to read verse 25, which is the one I read in a different translation. It says, This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as 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 some have formed the habit of doing. Because we need each other. We need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning. So good. We need each other. We need each other. For some of us, that's like a revelation that's like, oh crap, I need people. (laughs) People drive me crazy. But we need each other. And we're going to elaborate on it today, but community is so powerful and it's so important. And we're going to see today that it's, it's as important as our relationship with God as what, has, what God has done by putting us in community and connecting with community. We need each other. So much of our life is shaped by our relationships. Our relationship with others our relationship in marriage, our relationship with friends, co-workers, and our relationship with Father God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So I want to read a couple powerful verses about community. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. 
Encourage one another and build each other up. This is the purpose of community. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's interesting that it doesn't say confess your sins to God that you may be healed. It says confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Now, there's other scripture that says that, that says confess your sins to God. But this scripture says confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. So there's something powerful in community that we can actually minister to one another and and help each other become healed. Amen? So our relationship here in communities is meant to do these things, encourage us, build us up, push us forward, and heal us. According to those scriptures we just read, this is the purpose of community. Encourage us, build us up, push us forward, and heal us. So our lives will be shaped by our relationships, and not just our relationship with each other, but our relationship with God. And nothing can keep us at a distance from Him. Amen? Colossians 2.14 having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Everything that was between you and God has been taken out of the way and nailed to the cross by Jesus. So there's nothing separating you from having relationship with God. In fact, um, when I've led people to the Lord that didn't grow up in church, my wife and I grew up in church, and so we had some kind of a groundwork of what this all looked like. But sometimes it's, it's more fun to lead someone who's never been to church, and they have no idea of what it's like. And, and so when I've led people like that to the Lord, they're like, well, how do I pray? What do I even do? And I just tell them, just talk to God. Just have a conversation with Him. Because we can tend to make it too religious, and it's like, we need to realize there's nothing between us and God. I can talk to Him at any moment. I can talk to Him in my car. I can talk to Him in the shower. There's nothing between me and God, and I can engage Him all the time. It doesn't have to be this religious have everything right, and the music has to be playing, and the candle's lit. (laughs) You can engage God at any time. So there's nothing between you and God, and we need God, but we also need each other. And God will use our relationship with him and people in our community to heal us. Both are important. So this message today, as I said, it's called The First Crisis and God's Solution. So if I were to ask you, what's the first crisis that mankind ever faced? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Nobody wants to say anything. Sin, right? Like, I heard a couple people say that. I mean, that seems like that's the obvious answer, right? It's like everything was perfect. They were in the garden. They had all their needs met. They were with God. And then sin came in and wrecked it all, right? It seems like that's the right answer. But sin actually wasn't the first crisis that man ever faced. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, I think we have it for the screens. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So in Genesis chapter 1, it says, you know, it's the story, of course, of the creation of the world. And it says God created everything. And every, after everything he created, he said, that's good. Created something. He said, that's good. Made light and day. That's good. Made the animals. That's good. 
But then it comes to where Genesis 2 and it says, man's all by himself. And God says, that's not good. That's not good. So the first crisis that man ever faced was aloneness. Sin wasn't the first crisis that man faced. Aloneness was. Man was all alone. And God said, that's not good. That's not good. Aloneness is defined as this. Having no one else present. On one's own. Without others' help or participation. Isolated. Lonely. Aloneness was the first crisis that God came to solve. And he said, this is not good and I need to fix it. So when we struggle in our lives, we often isolate ourselves. I know that this has been something I've struggled with in my life. Like when I'm struggling, when I'm going through problems, my temptation is to isolate. My first reaction is not to reach out. And I've had to try to retrain myself. Like, that's actually the most important thing I need to do right now is actually connect. But my first response is to isolate, is to actually withdraw from people, to retreat into aloneness. And when we feel alone, we often make our worst decisions. Because we're looking to things outside of God and community to encourage us, build us up, Push us forward and heal us. Remember, that's the purpose of community. When we leave community and we go into aloneness, we're looking for something else other than God and community to do those things for us. And we often make the worst decisions. Aloneness is one of the worst feelings. It's one of the worst feelings. You know, what's interesting, and this is why I really feel like this truly is the first crisis that man ever faces, because... Adam had God. He was with God. So he, you, you, I mean, some people I know, you know, people that say this, and I've probably said it too, we have, you know, a right heart about it. But sometimes people say like, Jesus is all I need. But he had God. And God said, this isn't good. He was in full presence with God. And he said, this isn't good. I need to fix this problem. He's alone. So God himself is saying to us, we don't just need him. We need each other. We need each other. And God's solution for aloneness was partnership. Partnership with another human being. We can find partnership. I understand the context in that chapter is marriage, but we can find partnership in marriage and community and in friendships. But sometimes partnership might look different than what we expect. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, you can put it back up on the screens for a second. Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable, suitable for him. So that word suitable, it's actually the Hebrew word Neged, N-E-G-E-D, Neged. One of the definitions, I found this fascinating. One of the definitions of Neged is opposite. Opposite. He made him a helper that was opposite of him. So if you're married, your spouse is driving you crazy, 
Because everything you do, it seems like they want to do the opposite or they have the opposite opinion. Maybe they're just doing their job. God made, them, <laughs> God made them to be your opposite. And so many times in marriage, like, we see, like, like I'll, I'll just speak for myself. And you can, if you relate to this, see how many honest people we have. But it's like, I have this opinion or this idea or this in mind. And I feel like my wife is, like, over on the other side of that opinion. And there's something about specifically marriage, but also partnership, but there's something about partnership where that opposite perspective, like it's a very sanctifying process for actually for us to come into this process with patience, with love and with understanding. And instead of being like, you are nuts. How could you see it like that? It's no, it's over here. What are you talking about? But there's something about the process that God uses in marriage of sanctification where it's like, okay, I want to find the wisdom in that even though it seems crazy. I want to find what's actually good about that, and I want to actually come that way. And so we see marriage like when it actually looks beautiful is when the spouses come like this. And they come together. Like, okay, I'm going to try hard to come, and to come your way and see it your way, and I'm going to try hard to come your way. And somewhere in the middle, we have something really beautiful that's called partnership. So I, f- I found that fascinating that Neged, one of the definitions is opposite. So there absolutely is an element in marriage and in partnership where God has put two opposites together. We've all heard the saying, opposites attract. It's really true. Opposites attract. That's the way God's made it. So partnership can look different than we think it, that we think it should. And by the way, if you're looking for a business partner, don't look for a business partner that thinks and sees things exactly the way you do. You need someone who sees things differently than you do. In fact, we try to put people around us in our life, and in in, uh, ministry especially, that see things differently than us. You need someone around you that has strengths where you are weak. There's, there's so many people, it's like God's just been so good to us in our core team that they have amazing strengths where we are weak. And we just lean on that strength. And sometimes in marriage, we can look at the differences that we have and we can just be like, you're nuts. Why do you not see it the way I do? When actually God's calling us to actually lean on that strength, lean on that different perspective and actually utilize it. So partnership can look different than what we think. And I know the context here is marriage, but we can find and enjoy partnership in other relationships besides just marriage. And the overall point I'm trying to make today is that sometimes our biggest crisis in life is aloneness, and God's solution for aloneness was partnership. Partnership. Partnership in marriage. Partnership in community. Partnership with people. God's solution for aloneness, which is, which is damaging, which is painful, which is stepping outside of the way that God has ordained us to be filled, is painful. And his solution for aloneness was partnership. I find this so fascinating. Do you know that lack of physical affection can actually kill a baby? This is from an article called uh, Touching Empathy from Psychology Today. 
It says babies who are not held and nuzzled and hugged enough will literally stop growing. And if the situation lasts long enough, even if they receive proper nutrition, die. Research discovered this when trying to figure out why some orphanages had infant mortality rates of around 30 to 40%. That's astounding. There's so many orphanages that they found out that had from 30 to 40% infant mortality rates. It says, we now know that orphanages are no place for infants aged zero to five because they simply do not receive enough stimulation and group residential care to develop to the fullest of their capacities. God's put it in our DNA. It's in our, in our very DNA. We need community and we thrive in community and we die and we suffer in aloneness. God's created us for community. He's created us for partnership. You know, Diane mentioned that uh, Pastor Rick Casto is coming on November 11th. And a lot of this message today is just from conversations that I've been having with him and with other pastors and friends of mine and, and just my own process of engaging in community. And by the way, yeah, mark your calendars. He's one of my favorite speakers in the world. He's doing such an amazing work up at Teen Challenge. And also another, uh, just giving a shout out to my friend JP in uh, Minnesota. Some of this message today came from just conversations that I've been having with him and processing this stuff with him. So when I look at the times where I've made bad choices and I've made bad decisions, it's usually times where I've retreated into aloneness. It's usually times where I've not reached out to those people or I've not reached out to my wife. And in fact, I remember a time about, about almost a year ago where the Lord started showing me that I had walls up with, with everybody, including my wife, and I actually went to my wife and I actually told her, I said, the Lord showed me I have big walls up with you and I, I want them to come down. And so we've been in this own, our, our own process of bringing those walls down because the walls keep us from community. They keep us from that vulnerability, that connection that God's actually ordained for us that's supposed to encourage us, build us up, strengthen us, push us forward. So aloneness can be a crisis in our life, but God has came to fix it. And his answer, his solution is partnership. Sometimes we feel like we're just not measuring up. We're like, I'm just, I'm, just not, I'm just not measuring up. I'm not measuring up in my marriage. I'm not measuring up with God. I'm not measuring up in my work. I just don't measure up. And in those moments, we can retreat inwardly. We can isolate ourselves. We can clam up emotionally. And it's actually a defense mechanism like, I'm not measuring up. I'm not enough. And I don't want anybody to see my fear and insecurity right now. So I'm going to retreat. I'm going to isolate. So the fear and the insecurity become shame. And shame causes us to feel alone. But we need to remember that aloneness was actually already taken care of by God. He solved it. And we need to come out of hiding. We need to come out of shame and dare to risk connection and partnership. Sometimes partnership is messy, though. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes we don't want to engage in community and partnership because we've been in the middle of the mess and we've been hurt by community. And we're like, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just going to isolate. 
and we step away from what God has provided for us to be, be a source of life and encouragement and to build us up and to push us forward, and we step into becoming our own answer, our own encourager, our own provider. And it's not good. Man said, even if we step back and be like, okay, Jesus, you're all I need. Well, God said, that's not good. Adam had God, and he said, that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. You need partnership. So sometimes community can be messy. And this, this actually, i got to give a credit to a counselor I talked to, but he told me this one time, and it just stuck with me. He said, God didn't create your spouse to destroy you. <laughs> he created your spouse to reveal the best version of you. This is what partnership does if we embrace it. We have to stop this, this thought in our mind that community is actually going to destroy me. Uh, my spouse is actually going to destroy me. Friendships, close friendships, that's dangerous. That's actually going to destroy me. No, it'll actually, if you embrace it, it'll reveal, reveal the best version of yourself. Amen? And I totally understand. I, I get it that a lot of us have been hurt in community. Um, in fact, probably all of us have. I know raise my hand. But we don't give up on the process. Amen? Community is what God has ordained, and partnership is what God has ordained to actually heal us. God loves those institutions. He loves community. He loves partnership. And he's put us into those things to help sanctify us and to reveal our true identity. Maybe there's more greatness in you than you realize, but you just need community to help draw it out of you. Community is not meant to destroy you. It's meant to reveal you. So I'd like to close today with with three things that we need to know about partnering and community. So number one, community and partnership isn't a substitute for connection and partnership with Jesus. So God created Adam and Eve to have partnership with each other and himself. Amen? So we need both, but we can't go the other way either and be like, well, I got my community now. We still need to connect with the vine. Amen? One of the things that my wife and I do when people come to us and they, they say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, one of the things that we often do is say, well, what's the Lord saying to you right now? And, and oftentimes I'll be like, I don't know, I haven't prayed about it. I'll be like, okay, well, let's just do that right now. Let's just, let's just do this. Holy Spirit's here right now. Holy Spirit, speak. What are you saying? What, what do you say about this issue? What are we doing? We're connecting them with the vine connecting them with the source of life, amen? And then after they've heard from the Lord, then we can weigh in on it and say, okay, this is, yeah, this is what's happened in our experience and this is what we, how we've dealt with that issue. And now they're connected with Jesus and they're connected in community. And you can't have one without the other, right? I should say you can, but you need both, amen? We need community. So community and partnership, it's not a substitute for partnership with Jesus. We need both. We need to stay connected to the vine, but we also need each other. Number two, this one is just heavy in my heart, and I'm still processing it. It's so good. You don't have to be wrong to repent. You don't have to be wrong to repent. 
Sometimes we're so focused on the external issue or the external problem or the words that were said or the situations that we don't see what's really happening. We don't see what the real problem actually is. Sometimes we can say or do something to a spouse, a friend, or a child, and they have a bad reaction to it. And we can look at what we did and look at the superficial and be like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. This is their problem. Like, I don't know what their problem is. I just said that, or I just did this. And we don't see, we're looking at the superficial thing. We don't see what the real problem actually is. So we can look at the superficial and we can just hold our gun or stick to our guns and be like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Or we can see beyond the superficial and say, okay, maybe my intent or my words or my action wasn't technically wrong, but maybe something was triggered in them by the way I said what I said or by the way I did what I did. Maybe I could have chose my words better or maybe I could have chose my timing better. Maybe there's something in this that I can repent for. Because you don't have to be wrong to repent. So even though I'm not wrong in the external issue, there's some room for humility and repentance here. By the way, if you need grace in your life, you need more grace, God gives grace to the humble. So when we take that position, like maybe someone's offended by something we said, and we're like, I didn't do anything wrong. They're they're freaking out. They need a sozo. Angela would have laughed at that. She had to leave. Sozo, if you don't know, is like inner healing. Like it's like an inner healing counseling session. Like they just need a sozo. By the way, please don't say that to someone. You just need a sozo, okay? It's your problem, not mine. But maybe we can look at that reaction or that thing that's rising up in them and actually be like, God, is there, is there a place for me to be humble and have repentance here? Because it's so easy to be like, their issue, not mine. I, I was in the right. I'm right. They're wrong. But we can just step back and take that position of humility, and that, that's what God's showing me lately. It's like when you take that position of humility, God's just pouring out grace. He's like, I give grace to the humble. You want some more grace? Come in humility. Look for places to come in humility. Look for places in arguments and relationships and in conflict where you can humble yourself. And come in repentance. And God's like, that's what I'm looking for, humility, because I want to give you some more grace. Here's some grace. Need more grace? Look for opportunities to be humble. And actually, the most powerful person in a relationship is the one who can humble themselves and repent, even if they weren't wrong in the external issue. Okay, maybe I could have said that better. Oh, yeah, I see now. That actually, even though it's not what I intended, the way I did it, the timing and the way I did it, it actually communicated, you're not valuable to me. You don't matter to me. Even though that's not what I meant, that's not what I said, but because maybe I didn't do it in in a tactful way or the most tactful way, yeah, I can see there's some repentance that needs to happen here. And so here's what keeps us from repentance. But they're wronger. They're 90% wrong. I'm only 10% wrong. So when they apologize, then I'll apologize. Okay, that's a powerless person. And we've all done it. I've done it. That's a powerless person because that says, I'm, my apology, the way I conduct myself, it's dependent on you. 
a powerful person is this. It's like, I'm going to behave myself in a certain way regardless of what anybody else around me does because it's the right thing to do. Because it's who I am. I am a Christ follower. I'm a son of the Most High God, and I'm going to conduct myself as such regardless of what other people do around me. So when we're like, they're wronger. When they apologize, I'll apologize. We go into this powerless position, and we begin to hold bitterness and grudges and all kinds of negativity. But when we say, you know what? Their deal, what they did, they have to own that, but I'm going to own whatever I did, even if it's 5%. So I'm just going to go and say, hey, maybe I could have said that better. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Notice I didn't go and say, what you did was really wrong. But what I did maybe was a little bit wrong, so I'm going to apologize. No, you don't do that, right? <laughs> I'm not even going to mention their thing. I'm, going to say, I'm just going to own what I, what I need to own. I'm just going to say, hey, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Take a position of humility and not expect an apology. So three things we need to know about partnering and being in community. It's not a substitute for a partnership with Jesus. And number two, you don't have to be wrong to repent. You can still humble yourself and come into genuine repentance. And it's what God is looking for. It's what a powerful person does. And it's what God is looking for to give you more grace. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He resists the proud. Or maybe someone did or said something to you that hit a nerve and you had a bad reaction to it. Maybe it was really rude. Maybe it was very insensitive. And when they said it, it hit a nerve. And you, but you had a bad reaction to it. You're just like, blah, that hurt. I'm going to hurt you back. Even if it's in a small way, a little quip. And you can say what they did wasn't okay. What they did was not okay, and they need to apologize. Or you can say, well, what they did wasn't okay, but I don't like the way that I reacted to it. And I can have repentance for that. And we can go to that person and say, again, I'm not going to bring up their issue or what I think they did wrong. I'm just going to say, hey, I don't, like, I don't like how I reacted in our conversation. Please forgive me. I'm truly sorry. Please forgive me. This is what powerful people do. They own what they need to own. And they come into humility with repentance. And you don't have to be wrong to repent. Well, I'm not wrong. I shouldn't have to repent. I'm not wrong. We can look at the superficial issue. Well, I didn't do anything. They did that to me. But we can find something to repent for. Wait a minute. I don't like my reaction. Yeah, they said something that hurt, but I kind of fired back a little bit. And I don't like that. I need to repent for that. The definition of a powerful person is, I can do the right thing regardless of what anyone else around me does. So number three, another thing we need to know about being in community. Being vulnerable in community is so important, but you don't have to be vulnerable with everyone. You don't have to be vulnerable with everyone because, little secret, some people can't handle it. Some people can't handle your vulnerability. You might be vulnerable about something, and it triggers someone because they're struggling with the same issue. 
and they have so much shame because of that issue that they're going to project that onto you. You're like, man, I just need somebody to talk to, and I'm struggling with this. And they're like, oh, shame, shame, don't do that. No. So you don't need to be vulnerable with every single person in your community. Your vulnerability is a gift. So when someone offers you vulnerability, treat it as a gift. So you don't need to be vulnerable. Now, there is, there is like an element to this where I do want to be vulnerable with every single person here to a certain extent. I do want to have a level of humility and vulnerability with every person here. But not every person here can handle my deepest vulnerability. Even Jesus, he had like, he had his followers and then he had his disciples and then he had the three. And he had different levels of vulnerability with each group. Okay, the three are the ones that got to see him in the transfiguration. They got to see Moses and Elijah come down. I mean, that's a pretty deep level of intimacy. And the 12 didn't get to see that. The other nine didn't get to see that, but the three got to see that. And he said things to the 12 that he didn't say to anybody else. He didn't say to the crowds. He would explain parables to them. They'd come up to him after he talked to the crowds and be like, what does that mean? We're lost. And he would explain it to them. He didn't explain it to the crowd, but he explained it to them. So what I encourage you to do is process with the Holy Spirit who you can be vulnerable with. And you should have a level of vulnerability with everybody. But your deep vulnerability, you, you may, may only need two or three or four people. They're like, this is the, these are the people that the Lord has showed me are safe to be really vulnerable with. Amen? Is this making sense? By the way, when someone is vulnerable with you, don't feel the responsibility to fix them. Sometimes people just need you to listen. Sometimes, man, I know for me, it's like, sometimes I just need to talk and, let's, and have someone hear me. And I'm like, oh, I feel better. <laughs> and they didn't do anything. And I'm just like, I just needed to say that. I just needed to talk about it. Now I feel okay. So don't feel it's a responsibility. Even as pastors, we can get trapped in that to feel a responsibility to fix people. We don't have to fix people. We connect people to the vine and we listen to the Holy Spirit for what he speaks, but I don't, it's not my job to fix somebody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm just there to help build them up, encourage them, connect them to the vine. So aloneness was the first crisis that man faced that God saw, and he says, hmm, this is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs partnership. He needs partnership. So I want to encourage you today to go after relational challenges because sometimes we have we've had relational challenges in the past and we have bought the lie of aloneness like no I'm not doing that anymore i'm just going to be alone me and jesus all i need don't buy into the lie of aloneness aloneness is a complete lie and trap of the enemy he's trying to get us into aloneness and if you look at the hurts in your life probably a lot of them have been strategically placed by the enemy to get you away from community, to get you away from God. Don't buy the lie of aloneness. Aloneness will make you feel like you're in crisis and it won't fix your problems. We need God and we need community in our life. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you that you solved the crisis 
of aloneness with partnership. God, that you're not only calling us to have a deep, intimate relationship with you, but you're calling us to have intimate relationships with others that encourage us, build us up, push us forward, and heal us. God, I just repent right now, even for the times where I've had the wrong idea about community, and I've even had those thoughts of all I need is Jesus. When, God, you're clearly saying to us, we need each other. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray that there would be repentance. Repentance just means a mind change to see things differently. I I pray that there would be repentance all across this place this morning for people that have ran away from community, people that have been afraid or been hurt and just said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to open up. No, this is my issue to deal with, and i got to figure it out on my own. Such a lonely place to be. So God, I just pray for grace right now. Grace over every person who's been hurt in community. Grace, God, for them to connect and to dare to risk family and connection. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.